Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Today, we are starting a brand new series called Legacy Lives. And as we were kind of pointing our attention towards the beginning of Thanksgiving season, that is still a season. We didn't skip straight from Halloween to Christmas. Hello. Uh, I love Christmas. I'm singing Christmas music, but there's places in my heart to celebrate both, right? I love Thanksgiving and Christmas. As we were thinking about Thanksgiving and where we would spend some time leading up to uh, just an incredible week of, of celebration and getting to eat together, be with family and all of those kinds of things, we were thinking about a lot of different things. We were thinking about a series on gratitude and thankfulness, but Really, I couldn't get away from this idea of what God may be calling each of us to. One of my favorite movies uh, is the movie Gladiator. And in that movie, there's a line by Maximus. He says this. He says, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And, And what you need to know about us here at Generations Church is that we really believe that kind of mantra for each of our lives. We think that what we do matters We talk about living like it matters. That's what we want to help you to do. That's what we want to do for ourselves. We want to live like it matters because we believe that when we serve and when we give and when we love our spouse and love our children and our grandchildren, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we talk like we did last week about really taking care of ourselves and and helping to manage our emotions and our mental and physical and psychological things that are going on and really kind of juggling all of those things in pursuit of of a loving and holy God, we talk about it really matters how we live. We also believe, as we read Scripture, that it does echo for eternity, that you and I are living on the earth right now as a part of one small part of the eternal story of God that you and I get to participate in, that what we do on earth actually does affect the the place and the way that we would spend our lives for eternity. And uh, we don't have a ton of time to unpack that, but I think we're going to do that in just a few months and really look at some of those things that are to come. But, but we do believe that it matters how we live. We do believe that it matters the things that we do in our lives as it relates to relationship with Jesus Christ. So if it matters, if it does echo for eternity, then how are we living our lives? Dr. Tim Elmore, he made a statement a number of years ago, more than 10 years ago now, in a book. And I heard him teach this in, a, in another setting, but he said, That every single one of us at some point when our life ends, and this is not a morbid thing, so just hang with me for a second. When our life ends at some point after that date, a year, six months, five years, at some point after that moment in time, someone somewhere will mention your name to another person, to another group of people. So take it outside the context of your family for a second and go back like into your workplace they're around the water cooler. Someone will mention your name. Oh, yeah, you, you remember you remember so-and-so? You remember Joe? You remember Sarah? And when they do, the other person will say, yeah, I remember that guy. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember her. They were fill-in-the-blank. He was fill-in-the-blank. That fill-in-the-blank is what Dr. Tim Elmore calls your life sentence. It is the sentence by which everyone encapsulates 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years of life in five or six words. Yeah, he was really, really kind to me in a season where no one else was. Man, she was the most generous person I've ever met. Man, he made me feel so welcomed. Man, man, she helped me on the job to really kind of find success. Maybe your children or your family or other people, they, they will speak to some really personal memories 
But that life sentence encapsulates everything that you do. Others have talked about, you know, the date that you were born and the date that you die. And it's really that dash, how we, we take all of life and we put it into that dash. And I realize, like, if you're, if you're scared right now, this is not morbid. I'm not trying to help all of us kind of think that way. I'm just saying all of our lives and the way that we live, it actually matters. We all will have that life sentence at some point. You might describe that as legacy. You might describe that as the, the way that you will be remembered. And so how do we live in such a way that how we will be remembered matters for eternity? Stephen Covey, in his book so many years ago now, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of those habits was to see the end from the beginning. Go all the way to the end of whatever. Go all the way to the end of this, this quarter. Go all the way to the end of, of your 20-year, 50-year, 70-year anniversary and get to that moment in time and then look back and go, how do I want to arrive in that moment and then live in such a way that gets you to that place in the way that you want to be delivered to that place? How much, how much money do you want to have saved? How, how, how loving do you want to be? How many things do you want to have taken care of? Well, all of those pieces play into the way that we live now that really shapes the legacy that we will leave. So what legacy are you going to leave based on the way that you're living now? That's the question for all of us. Maybe you type that into your phone or write that somewhere in the margins of your Bible. What legacy will you leave based on the way that you're living right now? Here's the first thing that you need to know. You need to know that I believe, according to scripture, that God is a legacy God. He is concerned with the implications of our lives. He thinks about them differently than you and I do, but he is concerned with the implications of how we are living. If you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And if you've attended here for any length of time, I get made fun of because I almost always say that this is my favorite book of the Bible wherever we are. I don't say that because I'm a pastor. I really do say that because I love so much of the Bible. But Exodus and the children of Israel and the story of God's people, I talked about it a little bit yesterday at our first Saturday prayer here at 8 o'clock in the morning. We gathered together to pray over the needs of our congregation and our community. And and I talked a little bit about the children of Israel in that story too. And man, I just, I love the story of the children of Israel. And Exodus is the story of them exiting captivity. If you know this story well, at the end of the book of Genesis, this incredible story of Joseph actually takes God's people into a place where eventually they are taken captive. They are oppressed by the human authority of that day in that region of the world. And then then God has got this sovereign plan, and he's going to raise up Moses, and Moses is going to help to set God's people free. And then as they take off on this journey, they could have gone straight to the promised land, but God had to get the Egypt out of them, and so he makes them wander around in the wilderness as they experience seasons of obedience and disobedience, and obedience and disobedience. Maybe you would recognize that pattern in our own lives. And so what happens during that season is God gives them some instructions, the Ten Commandments. He actually delivers these commandments to them two different times because one of the times he had taken the stones and he had inscribed all of the things there himself by his own finger. And then out of anger down at the bottom, Moses, you know, he throws them, drops them, depending on how you read it. And so then the second time God delivers them to Moses, Moses has to carve the stones out himself, right? He's just his punishment for losing his temper, which is just a good lesson for all of us as well. But Exodus chapter 20 is a place where we see this Ten Commandment passage. Verses 5 and 6 tell us this. It says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third or fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my 
commands. Now, this passage gets a lot of publicity for a couple of reasons. One, that phrase in there that I'm a jealous God. There are a lot of people within our culture who don't like that phrase. They don't like the phrase that there would be a God who believed about himself that he was the best thing he could offer to you, that you would give your affection to anything less than the best. So he says, I'm a jealous God. And if you really unpack that into the original text, he's saying that I know what is best for my children. And I would choose for you not to waste your time and spend your time on other things that are going to rob you of the affection and the worship that you could give to me. But he desires relationship. It's actually just I'm jealous for time with my wife. I I want to spend time with her. I want to create memories with her. And so when that's taking place, anything that robs us of those experiences, I'm like, oh man, let's let's just schedule some other things. Let's change the things. It's like, oh, the game might get rained out. Let's just skip. Like, let's just hang out together. I'm jealous for time together. This is the implication of what God is saying here. I want to spend time with you. I want to be connected to you in relationship. But the other part of this passage that gets a lot of publicity is that part where it talks about here, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now, depending on your translation, it may not say I lay the sins upon. It might say I punish or I revisit the sins of the father upon the children. This is one of the places where you start talking or hearing people talk about this idea of generational Curses. And man, when you read that, it sounds very, very heavy. And it is. The original word here in the Hebrew, I I spent some time, I I called around, I spent some time digging into the text, even again last night, kind of looking at what what does the original text say? Because sometimes in the English we're limited, and this is not to add to or take away from it, but if I dig into what was originally written here, the word for lay upon or to punish or to revisit, that word in Hebrew, and I am not a Hebrew scholar, so this is going to have a lot of Cherokee County accent in it, is pakad. Right? This is a, a word that would be used here to translate in all of the various translations that we have to lay the sins upon, to punish, or to revisit. But if you understand that word by looking at other places that it's used throughout Scripture, and it's used several hundred times in other places, an overwhelming way that it is used is to repeat. An overwhelming way that it's used on a number of different place, in a number of different places is to pay the price. So if you read it in that context... You would say, I, 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 would, I would see this pattern of behavior repeated upon the third and fourth generation. I would see the third and fourth generation, the children of the parents, paying the price for the sins of their parents. And if you and I look around, we don't have to look very far. Some of us just don't within our own family tree, but maybe in others, if it makes us feel better, just to look to other families and see the patterns of behavior in certain families. It's like when dad was this way, this is how the children turned out. When mom acted this way in life, this is, this is how the daughters turned out. There's a repeating of what we see with our eyes as we're growing up, this, this nature and nurture tension that constantly exists. Man, so much about what we see gets repeated generation after generation. And if we're being honest with ourselves, for so many of us, we kind of are. As much as we've kind of bucked against it, we kind of are who our parents were. And we kind of are who our, our grandparents were. Maybe not exactly because there's a lot of other influences throughout, but we see so many patterns. The older I get, it scares me, it frustrates me. The older I get, when I look in the mirror, it's my dad looking right back at me. It just is. It just really, really is. And dad, if you're listening to this podcast, I love you so much. But I'm not loving turning into you. I mean, it's just not what I want. You know, when I was 16, I was like, I'll never do that. And I'll never say that to my kids. And I'm saying it all the time now to my children. And I don't even know how it happened, but it's so repetitive. Generation 
after generation, and those are funny things, but how many of us have in our own family or maybe in families connected to us patterns of addictive behavior? From one generation to the next generation to the next generation, we see patterns of behavior repeated from one generation to the next. Or maybe even in a, a much more negative context, we, we might even see children or grandchildren having to pay the price for the decisions of their parents or their grandparents. Decisions that the generations before they made of their own mind, they made those decisions, and yet the kids are sometimes having to pay the price. The grandchildren are sometimes having to pay the price for those decisions. We see so many different places where the sins of the parent, they're laid down on the kids. The the, the punishment, the repayment, the repeating of all of those things transfer from one generation to another. And that gets so much of the publicity. When we reject the Lord, though, when we do what it seems right in our own eyes, what do we think is going to happen? We're absolutely going to pass on a legacy of hurt and pain and brokenness and disconnect. It is the way that we find ourselves living in this world. But I also love this other part that gets very little publicity about the text that we just read. He says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I lavish this idea of pouring it out to overflowing. This is a It's not a literal thousand generations. When I was reading some of this even last night, it's a poetic language. It's the idea that while some of the repercussions and the payment of sin might last for a generation or two or a couple of generations, the love of God transcends time. The lavish love of God is poured out upon God's people generation after generation after generation after generation. We cannot escape the love of God. It is never ending. So while the punishment of sin may last for a certain finite amount of time, even within some of our families until it's broken, we recognize that the love of God transcends all of that. And so as we talk about legacy, what are we talking about here? We're saying that for some of us, we've seen patterns of behavior and chains of addiction that can carry on from one generation to the next. But through the grace of God, Jesus has broken those things. And his love can carry for a thousand generations more. And some of you, you're sitting here listening today and you're saying, listen, I don't want the story of my parents or my grandparents to be my story. I don't want to pass those things on to my children. And you're here today and you've been in moments just like this throughout your life because you are putting a stake in the ground to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of us, we are generations of faith because it's been passed on to us. We've experienced the love of God from one generation to the next. Others of you, you are first generation of faith kind of folks. And let me just say, I applaud you. I pray for you because I want you to be able to leave a legacy for your children and your grandchildren that tells a completely different story than the story that was handed to you. It's a powerful picture of what you're deciding to do. Now, every generation has to decide for itself. It's not like if your parents were saved or they went to church or they were faithful in the church that you got a leg up. But it does mean that for all of us, maybe that were raised in that kind of of model for us, that the legacy that was left for us was one that pointed to Jesus Christ. It pointed to the lavish love of God. Others of you, you are searching to find it for yourself. And what I would say to you is the word of the prophet Jeremiah, that when you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. God's not hiding from you. He's making himself known to you. In the game Hide and Seek, I've used this this story maybe hundreds of times now, so if you've heard it, just act like it's the first time. When my kids were little, they loved to play hide and seek. And so you got to know this about me. I'm really competitive. 
you didn't know that, I'm wearing Tennessee orange underneath this because we beat Kentucky last night. My team won. We haven't won a lot in the last 18 years, but we won last night. Okay, so I got a little orange under here. So I'm pretty competitive. At the end of service, if you see me running to the door, it's because I assume that you are trying to beat me there. I'm going to beat you to the door. I love to win. I do. I got to be honest. But here's the other thing you need to know about me. I'm, a, I'm an excellent hider. In hide-and-seek, I am phenomenal. If they had an ESPN broadcast of hide-and-seek, I would win every time. I'm unbelievable. Because you know what I do? I would get in the car and leave the house. They could never find me. <laughs> I'd just go to the grocery store or hang out. You know, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But here's what happens. My kids, when they were younger, they would want to find me. And because I'm so competitive and so good at it, they couldn't ever find me. And I would hear them wrestling with, oh, I don't know, maybe he's upstairs. Maybe he's downstairs. I looked behind the couch. I, look, I looked in the shower. I don't know. Maybe he's under the bed. Okay. They're looking, looking, looking. They can't find me. And right before that moment that they would give up, I don't know. I'm just, I just can't find him. Maybe he left again. Maybe he went to the store. I don't know. You know what I'd do? I'd stick my leg right out from under wherever I was hiding. I would just throw my arm out. I would start to make noise. <clears throat> I'd rustle something around me so that they could find me. And then what did they do as soon as they found I found you. I found you. And in my mind, I'd be like, well, no, actually, you didn't. <laughs> no, as a loving father, you know what I did? I was like, you're right, you did. You're so good at this game. That's what I said. That's exactly what God is doing with you. He's just sticking an arm out. He's making some noise in rooms just like this. He's reminding you of his presence when you're driving down the road by yourself and you're not sure where you're going to turn today before you walk into that meeting. If you seek him with all of your heart, Scripture tells us that you will find me. That's what God's doing. And if you're a first generation of faith, or maybe, maybe you feel like even for yourself, it was passed on to you, but you tried your best to walk away from God, let me just say to you, all you have to do is turn to him, and you will find him every single time. So that's the story that so many of us have. But what is our responsibility then as it relates to legacy? How do we do something with that for the next generation? Psalm 78 Verse 4 says this, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he's done. The deeds, the things that he's done, the wonders, the things that boggle the mind, but also his might, his strength, his power. We're going to tell the next generation about that. And every time we come to a moment like this, I'm reminded that my grandmother, who passed away just a few years ago, before she got very, very sick and kind of lost some of the mental sharpness that she had had all of my life. She sat down and typed out all the promises of God that he had fulfilled in her life and in our family and all of the places that she had prayed for God to do something, and he had answered those prayers, and she handed those off to her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, so that she was commending from one generation to the next the goodness and the might and the power and the wonders of God. We will tell the stories to the next generation. We will leave for them a legacy of who God is. Psalm 145 and 4, I just spoiled part of it. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That is the legacy that we leave. We pass on legacy of faith to the next generation. We are Generations Church. We believe that you got to possess it for yourself and then pass it on. One of the saddest places in Scripture, and I just talked about the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, Eventually, at the end of the book of Exodus and kind of coming to a close at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses passes away, and his generation, his entire generation, because of disobedience, has to pass away. They cannot inherit the promised land. God raises up a new leader, Joshua. Powerful story, especially in the early few chapters of Joshua, as he leads God's people into the promised land, and they find victory in battle. And then you come to the end of the book of Joshua, and he declares this great 
promise and this great declaration over the people in Joshua chapter 24. He says, as for you choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Powerful declaration. Then eventually at the end of the book of Joshua and beginning of the book of Judges, Joshua dies. And the scriptures tell us that Joshua dies and all the elders of that day die. Really what they're saying is his entire generation passes away. And there raises up another generation. And then in Judges chapter 2, it's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. It says, There came another generation who knew not the Lord, nor the things that he had done for them. These are, depending on how you read the generational story here, these are either the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren of Moses. These are the kind of children into the grandchildren generation of Joshua and the elders. How does there raise up a generation who doesn't know about the seas rolling back so they could walk across on dry land? How is there a generation of young people who don't know that they marched around the city of Jericho in silence and then shouting for victory and the walls came down? How do those people not know? Because the older generation stopped telling stories. They became comfortable living in a land of plenty and they stopped telling of the goodness of God that delivered them there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we draw our name of Generations Church, it says when you get into that land that is flowing with milk and honey, when you get to that place where you're eating from these vineyards and drinking from these wells, remember that you didn't dig those wells. Remember that you didn't plant those vineyards. It was the Lord who delivered you into that place. Some of us are living in those kinds of lands. We're living in those kinds of houses. We're living in those kinds of days. And we have stopped telling the stories of the goodness of God to those who are coming after us. And we are always... Hear me, hear my heart. We are always one generation away from a generation who knew not the Lord and the things he had done for them. And that's on us. That's on us. It doesn't matter how old you are right now. If you are 90 years old or nine years old, you have a responsibility to possess faith for yourself and then pass it on to somebody who's coming after you. Every single one of us has that responsibility to commend his works to the next generation. We are always one generation away from a generation who knew not the Lord, nor the things that he had done for them. That breaks my heart. The next generation is always the most important generation of faith because it's our responsibility to pass it to them. So we've just kind of hung out in the story of the children of Israel. We've already skipped past the early stages of the book of Joshua, which is one of my favorites, especially those first eight or nine, ten chapters. Then they start separating the land. You kind of get bogged down there a little bit. But there comes this place as they've come into the promised land. The promises of God that were generational. They they were promised to these people all the way back in Genesis chapter 11. They were promised to Father Abraham. And these people had prayed for generations to the God of Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob to remind themselves of the generational goodness of God that had come before them, before they asked God for anything for themselves. So they come into the promised land. And this is what it says in Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. What do these stones mean? What are the stones? The stones are altars. Throughout the the Old Testament landscape, there are places where altars were built 
to indicate a place that God had done something for his people. He would say, hey, take these stones and build an altar here to tell the story of how I delivered you. Take the stones and go down into the riverbed and build an altar to represent the 12 tribes of the place that I showed up on your behalf and I was strong when you were weak. I was enough when you were not enough. They would build these altars. And so this entire landscape was scattered with these altars of God's goodness. And so I imagine in my mind's eye that there are generations, there's fathers and sons taking trips. There's grandfathers and sons and grandsons and grandmothers and granddaughters, and they're walking these towns, and they're walking in between these places that are now being settled. And every now and then they would come upon a pile of rocks, and that little kid would tug on the dress of grandma. That little boy would, would tap his dad on the back. He would say, Dad, Grandma, what do these stones mean? And they would pause and tell the story of the goodness of God. Hey, hey, what do, what do these stones mean right here? Well, that's the day that God showed up for us. They come up to the edge of the riverbank, and they look out into the middle of the water, and they see a pile of stones. And they would say, hey, what do, what do those stones mean out there? And they would have the opportunity to say, Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. What did these stones mean? Here's what I know. I know it's easier to build a life than it is to build a legacy. You build a life a day at a time. You build a life one paycheck at a time, one purchase at a time, one decision at a time. But to build a legacy, it's literally stories, moments, faith decisions. It's deciding between right and wrong, no matter what it will cost you, and then letting the next generation know why. It's easier to build a life than it is to build a legacy. But if you build a life, I got bad news. It dies with you. You build a legacy and it outlives you. The next generation carries it with them. They tell the story, your life sentence. Every time your name is mentioned, they go, hey, I know that guy. Here's what he did for me. Here's what he modeled for me. I know that lady. She gave me a book of all the promises of God. The answered prayers in our family. Every time we trusted God for more in our seasons of lack, she built a legacy. She handed it to me. It's my responsibility for what's been handed to me to hand it to the next generation because we're always one generation away from a generation who knew not the Lord nor the things that he had done for them. No, 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 I'm, I've been trusted with this legacy of faith and I will protect it and stand for it and fight for it so that I've got something to pass to my children and to my children's children. You build a life, it dies with you. You build a legacy, it outlives you. I was listening on Friday to the celebration of the Braves winning the world championship. And I was excited. I love the Braves. I'm a sports guy, if you don't know, love it, competitive. I've already talked about it. My team won. Sorry if you're an Astros fan. It's a great church. It's in Houston. Okay. I'm not saying you got to move there. I'm just saying just, you know, whatever. I was listening on Friday, all the various speakers. Some of them I liked, some of them I didn't like. I got to be honest. One of the commissioners from Cobb County spoke, and she made this statement. 
She said, legacy isn't what you leave for someone. Legacy is what you leave in someone. It was, it was, a, it was a world championship ceremony. We were driving down the road listening to it, and Corey and I both said, ooh, okay, we probably got to say that one on Sunday because we knew where we were headed here. Legacy isn't something you leave for someone. That's inheritance. Legacy is something you leave in someone. And you know how you get it into them? You tell them the stories about what these stones mean. You pause long enough as you build your life to build altars to God instead of monuments to ourselves. They say, God, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going to build an altar right here to commemorate, to remember, to have a pointing place for my children and the next generation to say, this is where God showed up when we needed him to show up. Building a life is much easier than building a legacy. But you and I that are followers of Jesus Christ have been called, I would say even commanded according to scripture, to leave a legacy of faith to break the chains of addiction and behavior that would cause our children to have to pay for our mistakes or even perhaps our grandchildren to repeat the same patterns of behavior that they've seen in us. No, 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 we're gonna gonna allow the power of God to break those chains. We're gonna allow the power of God to help us to reshape and, and change what we model for the next generation so that they don't have to pay the price two and three and four generations later, but instead they are pointed to the lavish, unfailing love of God for a thousand generations more. That is what we are about. That is who we are. It's what we've been called to do, to leave a legacy of faith. To leave a legacy of faith. Now, here's what, here's what we're going to do as we pray. We're going to pray for those of us today that may be in the room or watching online that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living in such a way that I have anything to pass on as it relates to faith. We want to give you the opportunity to change that today. And we're going to offer you the opportunity if you're in the room today or you're watching online and you want to pray to say, you know what, I, I want God to help me to pass something on. I want, to, I want to share what these stones mean. But we also want to have special prayer today for those of you who have sons and daughters or maybe grandsons and granddaughters or somebody that's connected to you on a heart-to-heart level. And they are not followers of Jesus Christ and it breaks your heart. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for them to find life in Jesus Christ and to really be recipients of this legacy of faith that perhaps you or others have even tried to hand to them. And maybe they've rejected. We want to pray for you and for them. And I want you to come tell me the story at some point in the next few days, weeks, months, years of the sons and daughters that have come to find faith in Jesus Christ because of prayers just like this. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We don't always do it this way. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand right now. If you're watching online, you have the ability to do so. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you're at. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's salvation. I need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. I want to start this life with Jesus to be able to pass on a legacy of relationship with him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're watching online. Let us know you're making that decision today. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I want to leave a legacy. I want to make sure I'm passing on faith. I want to do this. I want to help the next generation to find life in Jesus Christ, to experience the lavish love of God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? So many hands. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And now something that's been on my heart for several weeks, 
We put it in the notes for this series maybe six weeks ago, four weeks ago. If you would say, Jeremy, for me, I got a son or a daughter, grandson, granddaughter, somebody that I know I love, and they're not a follower of Jesus Christ. They are not in relationship, and I want to pray for them right now that God would bring them back home. If that's you and you feel comfortable, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? So many hands today. God, I love you so much. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the truth of your word that helps us to find the freedom that's available because we lean into the power and strength of who you are. God, we we remember your might and we remember your deeds and we remember your wonder. And so, God, that's how we can call on you now with full confidence that you can save those who've acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, forgive their sins and be their Lord. God, we thank you for doing that today. You're changing eternities, and I believe you're changing families for generations to come right now. God, I pray for those who are saying, hey, I want to leave a legacy of faith. I want to pass it on. I want to pause long enough as I build a life to answer what do these stones mean in such a way that it leaves a legacy in someone else. God, help us to do that. And God, right now, I pray for every son and daughter who has found their way away from maybe the legacy that's been passed to them, maybe moms and dads that have tried their very best to do the best that they could to pass on faith. And and maybe they realize I made some mistakes. I didn't do it perfectly. But God, right now we pray for every son and daughter, every grandson and granddaughter, niece and nephew, next door neighbor, anybody we've invested in. God, if they're not in a relationship with you, God, right now we pray that there would be a tug on their heart in whatever place they find themselves today, wherever they are literally in the world, that God, they would know mom and daddy are praying for them right now that this church family is lifting them up and calling their name in prayer. So God, we ask you to do what only you can do. Intervene in their lives. Intervene in their circumstances. And God, bring them back home. God, we thank you for what you're going to do. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. The testimonies will be of your goodness and not of ourselves. God, help us to be legacy people, living legacy lives for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.